Welcome back to The Cinema Condition with your host, filmmaker and creator of the Nerdcore Podcast Network, Raul Alejandro Mendoza. And as always, we are back for another movie with another guest. And today we are inviting once again, Mr. Patrick Grady, filmmaker and cinephile himself, over to the show. You last heard from Patrick when we did our episode on Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. And we let y'all know there that we were coming back for another one. And look, I'm not sure how long this episode will be. I am right now predicting this is going to hit the two-hour mark. And uh, I'm sure it will. But Patrick is back to discuss Stanley Kubrick's 1968 masterpiece, 2001, A Space Odyssey. And of course, Pat, how have you been doing, bro? Oh, I've been great. I've been real good. Um, Haven't been watching as many movies as I wish I would be. all but I do is watch movies. I have been plotting to make more movies, so that's yeah. cool. I guess I'm kind of on the other side now. I'm, I'm trying to make more movies now rather than just consume. I know we can both talk about how the Criterion sale drained our wallet, though. Oh, yes. Dude, I haven't even watched any of mine yet because I don't no. have a Blu-ray player. I just <laughs> I just bought a bunch of Blu-ray Criterions because I know eventually I'll have one. But Yeah. Dude, I, I just... I I, I, uh, yeah, my, my wallet got drained, bro. Uh, we picked up some good stuff, though. Uh, I'm glad you got Andre Rublev because I'm really, really excited to actually watch that, man. I really want to watch that. But, uh, yeah, man, it's been a while since we've had you here, you know, since, like, episode 23, 20, no, actually 19. I can't remember. I'm not going to pull it up right here. Well, I know what? it's been a while. Please? Because last time you had uh, less hair, and now you have more hair. So I know it's been a while. Well, yeah, it's grown a little bit. I just cut it again the other day. Mm-hmm. It's definitely it's definitely grown a bunch since yeah. before, but I even chopped it a little bit more the other day. Yeah, because uh, it wasn't it wasn't so even when I did it myself, and as it grew, that kind of showed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't do mine anymore, man, like that because it just shows that I have a receding hairline. Yeah, dude, I was looking in the mirror today. I was like, dang, do I need to, like, start putting some kind of ointment on there? Yeah. I got this little mix of, like, coconut oil and rosemary oil that I'm putting on there to try yeah. to fix it up. But, you know, we're just getting old. Yeah, we're just getting old, bro. We're just getting old. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm really happy for Patrick to be here because we're going to be talking about my one of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, it is in my top ten movies of all time. It is in a sits on a lot of directors' top ten movies of all time. I mean, Scorsese says this is one of his favorite movies of all time, and uh, this is a very very important movie, not just the science fiction, but cinema in general, man. I, I mean, this is a big big movie that I'm glad that Patrick was the one that I can do this with because Patrick did devote a lot of time to you know kind of researching and dissecting this film for a class last semester. So, you know, he, pre- he pretty much did the amount of research I did on eight and a half because I really did bum- pour myself into that one. And, uh, did you see that criterion drop? Don't even, don't weekend? even bring that up, man. I'm going to be $200 less, man. $200 less on my bank account. It costs $200. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. 15 movies, I mean, 14 movies and the, like the one with the supplements with the documentaries and stuff. Dang. So, uh, I started saving up for it or what? Oh no, I'm asking for Christmas. That one's for Christmas. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be quite the uh, the the wallet hit, the hit to the wallet. But uh, right now, I've definitely learned that I need to keep some advanced savings right now for uh, for stuff. I really hope they send that uh, that that stimulus soon, bro. I really hope they send that stimulus soon. Right, yeah. Right. So um, Patrick is is here, and we're gonna discuss this movie. Of course, uh, we've already introduced Kubrick to you guys. I mean, there really is not much to be said about uh, him anymore because we've already introduced him. You guys know his work. This is the second one that we're gonna be doing from him. And uh, of course, Patrick won't be claiming any movies at the end of this episode because he's already claimed his movies for last uh, for next um, for next season. Uh, he did. He got uh, what's it called? Three colors blue, and then in it. Inevitably, he has to claim white and red as well. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I was trying to remember. Did I get Ikiru or did I get this? No, did Ikiru. someone else pick up Ikiru? Ikiru was done this this season. Oh, okay, someone already did it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. How was that episode? Oh, Good. Fantastic, bro. I could talk about that movie for hours too. Yeah, that yeah. one. That's a great one. So, if you are, if you guys don't know what two thousand one is, two thousand one is. It's an epic. It's a science fiction epic. And uh, it's about this, uh, you know, ship, you know, orbiting, that's supposed to be orbiting Jupiter because they've heard about a sort of monolith that has been spotted. And these, what's it called, the space explorers are being sent over there to see what's going on. And we see throughout the film, you know, not just what's it called, space, but we actually begin the film with, you know, what is known as the Donna Man. And we see about where, where human life was and where human life is right now. And we also see bits of, of, of artificial intelligence and all that stuff. But uh, before I actually get into, you know, really getting into this, man, I really do. This might be one of the only podcasts where I want to go into the background of this movie and everything that really has been this movie. Because this is a really, really, really special one. But uh, Patrick, well, before we get into all of that, I mean, why did you choose? Why did you choose 2001, man? Well, first I want to say... Just a minute ago, you said if you don't know what 2001 is about and then you continue to tell them about it, man, y'all just got to go watch it if you don't know what it's about. Yeah. You, you yeah. got to go. You got to go see this movie. Um, I mean, this is a movie that like. I recommend. To to any person who I feel that I have respect for, like <laughs> I, I will tell you that you have to watch this movie yeah i'm not saying you have to like this movie but you have to watch this movie and absorb and get what you can out of it um mm -hmm. i i completely understand that this movie is not for everyone oh, no. i i wish people could have the patience and um the ability to like consume something like this and i'm not saying you're better if you can but like it's just a long movie and it's, there's a lot to it. And, um, I, I love that because of it. Um, and I think that this movie, um, it does its own thing in a lot of aspects from, you know, editing to storytelling and, uh, yeah, it's just incredibly unique. I remember the first time I watched it, I think when I, when I first started really liking movies in high school, I, would just go to the video store, the DVD store, and just buy movies that like were good, mm. by, like the, the critics said they were good or something. And so I would buy just these DVDs and play them on my Xbox or my PS2 
Yeah, I think my Xbox. And I remember 2001 was one of them, and I watched it, and I was like, dude, what is this? Like, I had no idea. I was so young. I think I was a freshman in high school, maybe even like eighth grade. Had no idea. And then I watched it again. Man, I don't even remember when. Probably sometime like early college. And then eventually had to do that video essay and really, really dove into it. And once I started reading more about it and just like really analyzing what Kubrick did with this movie, um, just fell even more in love. I mean, I, I already love things that go against like the conventional way of whatever, whatever, uh, like genre it's in or whatever. And, yeah. Um, yeah. so, I mean, this, this definitely does that and does it in such a beautiful way. Um, so that's, that's why I chose this movie. But I think more so you chose this movie for me just because you knew you knew that I liked it. You knew I wanted to, to do it. You're like, Patrick's got to do this movie. He doesn't have a choice. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I chose this movie. You chose this movie. I'd say you agreed to do this movie with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, I agree with everything you said there, man. I mean, this so this is this is a movie that I know I when people tell me they don't like this movie, I'm like, Okay, I understand. I understand why you, you don't like this movie. And I understand yeah. why, but, uh, you know, what I won't understand is people who don't think it's important. That's that's what the thing is to me. Because this movie, you know, it doesn't follow the conventional, what's it called, way of creating science fiction. I mean, there is no space adventure here. There is no big villain that that you're fighting against. It's it's There is nothing close to this being the science fiction film that you would think you'd be seeing at the time. And, you know, this is a, this is, it's, it's marvelous to see what Kubrick was able to make in here. Like, you know, even, even, even not just Kubrick, man, because you can't talk about this movie without also mentioning what's it called? The cinematographer, uh, who was, uh, Geoffrey Unsworth, Geoffrey Unsworth, who, you know, is also more than, more than possibly a big part of this movie as well. As Kubrick, because this movie is not just a um, a a storytelling. You know, it's not just a masterclass in storytelling, but it's also a masterclass in photography. Man, you look at that cinematography; it's incredible, and every part of this is just beautifully, beautifully shot. And you're just in awe. But at also at the core of this movie, there's also so much being said in this movie that not a lot of people seem to pay attention at. And the one thing I'm always hearing about it's like, oh, this movie's so slow. It's so slow. It's so boring. And it's like. Yeah, I, I don't think this movie is a movie that, that has to be quick. I think it needs to be slow. It needs to yeah. be slow. And uh, I don't think that's a bad thing for it to be slow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, it's, it's, it's funny that I brought up, you know, Fellini in the beginning, you know, with Eight and a Half. And, you know, I was watching an interview with Fellini and how he said, like, you know, like, we've be, what's it called? Uh, at that time when he was talking, he was talking about, you know, the power of the television. And how, you know, we've become, that they've become more of a uh, impatient audience. And, you know, he said, like, the TV remote really made us impatient and really had us like, okay, if we weren't grasped in like five minutes of watching what was on the TV, we could just switch on over and we could go to like the baseball game or the basketball game. And, you know, Fellini said that that's really created a very impatient society. And in a way, I think that's why I think a lot of people, so like I, I, I follow like a lot of like, you know, film teachers, a lot of film professors who also have podcasts, right? 
And a lot of them were saying how they would they would screen Barry Lyndon 2001 for their students. And all of them seem to have the same idea that 2001 is just too slow and it doesn't grasp them enough. And it's and it's funny because, you know, next next season, we'll talk about Stalker from Tarkovsky, which is another prime example of a movie that needs to be slow. There's no way that movie can be slow. It has to be. And I think that this movie is not just, you know, important to science fiction, but, you know, you watch this movie and you're like, I can't believe they made this in 1968. There's no way this could have been made in 1968. And the fact that, that Kubrick was, ever, was able to get into, like, pretty much as far as he could into his budget to be able to make this movie, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a prime example of, you know, the power that the filmmaker has, especially at that time when Kubrick made sure that he was the one who was getting the final say on his work because after Spartacus, he was like, no way I'm ever making a movie that's not produced by myself as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, every time I watch it, I'm like, damn. Like, I was, I, I think to myself, like, yeah, this is like 1980s something, right? Yeah, and then yeah. I, I look back, damn, 1968. Wow. Yeah. And the people didn't like this when this first came out. No. Yeah. No. I could see that. I could I, I could see people walking out of the theaters for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, when uh oh man, I hate that his name's leaving my brain, but in the second sequence, the the main dude, um Dave. What's his name? Dave. David. Yeah. What's No, nah, not Dave Bowman, not the astronaut. Dave. Oh, um Frank? No, not Frank Poole. <laughs> it's it's the uh, Haywood. What's that? Haywood. Floyd. Floyd. Dr. Yeah, Haywood, Haywood Floyd. Floyd. Yeah, I could see just so many people walking out during that long sequence when he's going from uh, like that first spaceship. I think he gets on like maybe one more. Yeah. And then finally gets to the moon. It's like the long, uh, the long. What is it? What's that song? Um, the ding, 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 song. Ding, 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 yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure people walked out of the theater at that point. They're like, "Man, what's this slow ash?" Like, yeah, but um, I love it. I agree. I think it definitely has to be be slow. Um, yeah, and I'm sure we'll go more into that later. As yeah. And it's also a film that has been pretty much analyzed for centuries. I mean, for for decades, man. Everybody's been trying to find the meaning. I remember, uh, so at our college dining hall, the one that we always go to, where we have a lot of conversations on movies, one guy was there who was really into movies, and he sat me down when we were talking, and he said, what, have you seen 2001 in Space Odyssey? And I said, of course, man, it's... Yeah. it's the movie that that made me realize I wanted to be a director you know I, it was Django in this one that to me it made me realize that yo I want to make movies right. but I said and he and his next question would be one of the most interesting things I'd be asked which I didn't really have a concrete answer to give him and I don't yeah. think I'll have a concrete answer today on my analysis of 2001 man he asked me what do you think this the movie was trying to say? And I sat there with probably the biggest confused look. I was like, I can't answer that, man. I, I can't really answer that question for you because there's so much that, that I feel like on my first watch, when I was in my first year of college of 2001, 
I felt like I didn't even grasp it yet. I, I felt like there was just so much there. There was so much I knew, but so much I didn't know about this movie. Mm-hmm. And so it was into my second rewatch when I was uh, in my history of film class, history of film noir class. And I was like, you know what? I bought the Kubrick triple pack. I want to see what's going on here at Best Buy. I was like, I want to pop in 2001 and rewatch it. And my big bro- my little brother comes in. He goes, oh, yeah, I watched this. It's amazing. Um, by the way, I could not believe that my little brother thought that uh, that what's good. That was a really proud big brother moment right there. For my little yeah. brother to come in and be like, oh, yeah, you're getting into one of my favorite parts of the movie. I love this movie. And I was like, yeah, man. And uh, he was like, and I, and I still, at the end of that second rewatch, I was like, man, I can't, I, 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 don't, I still don't, I have an idea kind of growing in my head, but I, I still don't know if I have something to say that I think it's a full-on analysis. And if you ask me on this third rewatch, it's the same. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm kind of toying with something here but i don't think i really have and i think that just shows the you know not just the prowess but the genius of what this movie is where every single time you seem to not be able to completely grasp it but you seem to learn something more every time you watch it you definitely learn something more and definitely like even just this conversation now i'm like yeah i'm I'm, I'm thinking a few more things about the movie and um just the way that he he puts it together he knew what he was doing, and he did it how he wanted, and he did a great fucking job. Yeah, man. So uh, I, I don't think we can start, you know, fully analyzing. I mean, this is might be the only one where we go, I say, like, let's just go straight from the beginning to the end with this one. I think we have to because if we don't talk about the Dawn of Man, I don't think we can really grasp, uh, have the audience grasp with us what this movie really is trying to say. So the movie starts, of course, with, you know, in space, and you see the, you know, the plan with, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey, a Stanley Kubrick picture, or whatever, right? With the, by the way, you know the movie's gonna be good when you just have a black screen and you have the score playing in the background without any single thing in frame yet. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it does yep. that one more time after the intermission. It's like, you know you're about to enter into some stuff, man. <laughs> and, and it's, uh, so... You know, after that, we kind of cut into the African, uh, Sahara, well, African, uh, you know, jungles, not really jungles, more like a desert ish, but it's, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't remember what it was said on the Wikipedia. There was like some African, uh, what's it called? A sub Sahara or something. And, uh, we see a bunch of monkeys and, you know, what is supposed to be the original form of us as humans that we evolved from basically apes and primates. And they seem to be, you know, just doing their daily stuff. And one of them, they, they notice, they start to get really restless when they notice what we would know to be the monolith. Which would then again, you know, it, it corrupts them and they start, you know, freaking out. Like, what is this thing? And they're trying to find out. But they find a, um, a bone. And they find, and what's the first thing they do with that bone? Well, they use it to kill each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right. I want to go ahead and get you started here, man. The dawn of man, we really do see the early beings of civilization, and we're seeing what it is, but but I think the most important thing you really have to analyze here is what the monolith does to the dawn, to the, to the, what's it called, to the primates. Right. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started with there. Patrick, what do you see with that? What do you see with the monolith disrupting these, uh, these primates? What do I see with the monolith? 
You think so, it's like early stages of cur- of human curiosity or? Right. So, yeah, I see it as, um, you know, you, I think you can see it in, in so many different ways. I know. I know. We have to but, try though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I see it most as um, like a catalyst. Yeah. A little catalyst for like, hey, monkeys, it's time to to move on now. It's time to get a little boost, kind of like a, a um, oh, like a like a little stool when you can't reach something, you put it under you and now you can reach it. And you've, yeah. you've achieved your goal. You've gotten your object, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, because you're right that that monkey uh, just before they find the monolith, the uh, a rival chimpanzee tribe comes in and steals their watering hole, and they're and they're mm-hmm. they're ran off. And that night, the monkeys are all huddled together, and they wake up, and there's the monolith. And then next scene, one of the monkeys finds the tool, and he he starts banging it around, figuring out like what he can do with it. He starts um, hitting bones and seeing that he can cause a little destruction. Gets it, They get some meat and they feel themselves and then they go off and they win their watering hole back, you know? Um, so I, I definitely think that that monolith is like a little stepping stool for them to like, it, it's there to tell them like, hey, like it's time to move on. It's time to advance. It's time to find a new way to... Um, like achieve your goal or um, evolve in a way. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's it's it is a catalyst in a way, but it you know it also is the uh, the first step to these you know primates really starting to find some curiosity here. So you know, right. like you said, you know, if it wasn't for without the monolith and the bone coming in, you know, those monkeys would have found a way to be killed by that by the uh, rival tribe. Of monkeys that were there and, and once again it, it Kubrick is also doing something really smart here he's also saying even in our earliest forms of civilization we still had a problem with each other we still had a problem with each other and when you go and when you go what's it called into you know the next couple of acts you see where conflict starts to uh to to advance to it's not just human against human now it's artificial intelligence against human. So, you know, that monolith, it, it, it's, it's 100%. I agree with you. It is a catalyst. It is a saying of, a, it, you know, it's a, it's a form of, a, of something coming up that's saying like, hey, we need to evolve here, but I don't think you guys understand what it is that we need to evolve past. And one of the most important things I, 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 I see with these analyses that I was reading is that it's either always the cynical view of this movie or a very optimistic view of this movie. They're always like, oh, I think Kubrick is saying that we have a lot to look forward to in humanity that, that we can move past. And also some say that it's a very pessimistic view, saying that, you know, us as humans, we'll still always just be human and we'll be so fucked up because we're so complex, fucked up creatures that we just can't learn to behave with ourselves. I'm, I'm with that pessimistic view for sure. And I can 100% agree with you on that, my friend. I think it is 100% one of those uh, pessimistic views. I think yeah. that is my analysis as well. But, I mean, that's the beauty of this movie. And it's also the beauty of what cinema is, is that a lot of us could have different, you know, interpretations of something that we watch. And yeah. those monkeys kill each other. And 
what what is always seen as one of the most primal things to kill, you know. It's always seen like we've been killing each other since basically the dawn of man. Since we've been since we've tried to hunt to survive, we've been killing baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um and, and that and that monkey shows it off. It's like what's the first thing that thing does with it other than trying to see what it's used for? It kills. And it right. Yeah. It it murders immediately and um Yeah, I I definitely see the more pessimistic side because, um, you know, right as right as they kill the rival chimpanzee, like maybe leader or one of one of the head ones, they they kill it. They win back this watering hole. They've asserted their dominance. Mm-hmm. It throws up the 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 bone into the air right and it's this slow motion like epic um celebration and we have the most like basic tool the first tool that this that our most basic form has ever used right the 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 chimpanzee and the bone like i don't i don't think it could get any more primal than that Mm -hmm. thrown into the air and then we have like the most maybe not the high most highly regarded like mash cut but a pretty popular one from god i remember seeing that match cut from the bone to the satellite <laughs> and i i just felt so good i felt like it's so easy right then uh like when you get like a like a lick of ice cream on a hot summer day that's <laughs> that's how i felt um seeing that match cut and uh, what i'm getting at is when i i see it as a i see the pessimistic side because we have the most simple um, primal tool jump to thousands of years later, we have advanced to the most advanced tool, this nuclear satellite up in space floating around, but it's still just a, it's still just a tool for, for destruction and for, for violence and for murdering. Um, so it's like, yeah, we've advanced, but like what, in what way through technology? Yes. But, um, you know, we're, we're, we're still, we're still hurting each other. We're still scared of each other. We're still, we're, we're not, we, we haven't achieved peace or, uh, um, been able to, to live cohesively with each other. Yeah. We, we still seem to want to uh, get away from each other. And I was saying as well, I was thinking as well, you know, you know, they do it with this very simple tool, a bone. Right. But later on, when they discover fire, they'll be able to use that. And then once we advance more and we, 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 uh, we, we, we start making swords, we start using those against each other in combat. And we, then we discover gunpowder. And then our war uses of warfare really advance. And then we, we make automatic weapons. And we make what's it called, you know, planes. And, and, and it all just keeps advancing because... At the core of our humanity, we've always wanted to be conquerors. And, mm-hmm. and, you say, and, and you say that match cut, and, you know, we get to the most advanced state because that up there, that's supposed to be the final frontier. That's the last place that has not been conquered yet. And right. we, are supposed to be, uh, so we are supposed to be space colonialists as well and make it up there and find a colony when this earth is finally not able to substantially hold us anymore. 
But you know, and but I think what Kubrick is saying is is in that in the dawn of man sequence, like, hey, we've been conquerors since the dawn of man. We've been conquerors since we were primates, and we've been evolved. We've always wanted to find a way to remove something from remove someone from a specific area, so we can take over that, and then when we and then assert our dominance and stay there. Yeah, yeah, because because the monkey could have easily killed the beast that it that it killed to fuel itself and maybe offered that to the other chimpanzees and said hey you know share the watering hole with us and we'll share the meat with you we'll share this tool we know how to use this tool look at this but instead they immediately went to conquer and to kill and to to make enemies rather than a peace offering and maybe that right there was kubrick just saying from the start yeah you're right like we have just wanted to take someone and remove them from that area forcibly um, rather than um, with some sort of peace offering or um, a trade, you know? Yeah. And ever since, and then of course, right where now we go to space and we see, first of all, the beauty of how he films all this and just how beautiful space looks, how, once you're inside the station, the very fly on the wall type of, of cinematography that, that basically Kubrick is always known for. And also just the symmetry in there as well, how everything is so beautifully centered. But you also see, and one of the things that this time around that I really grasped onto, because every when I, when I always screen Interstellar, I'm always like, think about Interstellar as probably the modern version of 2001 in a sense. Even though the Interstellar is very, very different from 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 2001, but there is one thing that stands out to me in this third rewatch of this movie compared to when I watched Interstellar. Because of course, if you know, there's that one painful scene in Interstellar where Matthew McConaughey cries when he's hearing about the fact that his son fi- has a has a son and everything, and you know all this life that he's left behind. But when uh, but when what's it called Dave goes in to make his call. He's like nonchalantly not caring about hearing from his family. Like, hey, you know, like, hey, how are you, how are you doing and stuff? But he's like just sitting there kind of like, you know, like, like if he's like as if he's glad to be away, to be miles, thousands and thousands of miles away from them in a whole right. other space of, of, of existence, dude. Like, mm-hmm. and, and it's quite the, it's, it's quite the sad thing to realize, but also it's, you know, the, the the further we seem to branch out into curiosity and really this form of progress that is just massed in con- in conquest the more we detach ourselves from our humanity right exactly yeah the, the more the more into this uh innovation and um like you said, just just wanting to conquer and and rule and advance, we lose that sense of um, humanity and intimate relationship with family and friends. Um, and I think that Kubrick did a really good job of making that contrast with. In that first Dawn of Man sequence, we have the chimps before they. Um, see the monolith they are all cuddled up as like intimate as possible under the cave and they're sleeping and like all the little babies are in the 
in the arms and, and intertwined of the legs with the mothers and the fathers under the cave, just sleeping and cuddling. And then the next one, you know, we're in space and we're traveling away. And Dr. Floyd is having that FaceTime type conversation, which is so awesome in itself that like, you know, Kubrick did that um, so long ago. I mean, I, that wouldn't be a hard thing to like, guess that's going to happen in the future, but I just think that's cool. Um, but yeah, he's in this FaceTime call and he's like, Hey sweetie, sorry, I can't make it for your birthday. You know, like one of the most important days to you, to my child, like I'm, I'm, I'm out in space working and conquering while you're aging and getting older and, you know, becoming not a woman yet, but like growing older and becoming a, a little girl rather than a toddler. And then it even goes further and the, he goes, where's mom? And mom's not there. It's a babysitter or like a, or like a nanny that's there. So it goes even further and it's like, okay, even the person that is on earth is separated from her daughter. She is, she's like out working or shopping or with friends or something. So it's like her, the, the family's completely split and they're in space while they're on, while, while one is, you know, at home, um, or in space and on earth, but none are, are connected. None of them are, are, are with each other. So it's, it, 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 again, I feel like this whole movie, that's why I'm with the pessimistic view. It's like we've advanced, but where have we really gotten, you know, like, have, have we lost that connection, that human connection through these advances? Are we really gaining that much? Yeah, we seem to um, we seem to lose something every time we you know we we advance you know, and if you look at it from the dawn of like what's it called since we we keep advancing through civilization until we get to space you know, we we take over these lands we remove we remove people from these lands then we create a border, a you know an imaginary line that we say anybody who crosses crosses past this line is 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 seen as a criminal, and. Uh, when we're just all just inhabitants of this one big earth that even at, even at its core, we don't seem to understand the land that we're in. We don't understand it at all. And we, we, if, if that's any view of where we are going towards with space, we won't even be able to survive in space. And yeah, you know, we keep going, we keep losing a sense of humanity every single time we make another big, uh, you know, what's it called? Um, advancement i mean look at those smartphones we got in front of us man how many people do we see when we get on twitter and instagram just straight up being dicks to each other for no reason for no reason i mean that that's a lot of what's we don't have to dive into that whole conversation but i mean yeah Yeah. that's like a lot of what social media is is like just getting on people's asses for different things and Mm -hmm. you know hey this person did this, we need to cancel them. Or, mm-hmm. you know, this person did this, like we need to stop going to that store. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's why I've tried to stray away from that stuff. We don't need to get in that conversation. Yeah. Anymore. Yeah. But I'm just saying, it seems that with every technological advancement we make, there's something that we sacrifice with it, which makes you think what is going to be left to be sacrificed when we do reach that time when we do get up there and we do finally start living amongst the space colonies, we, we probably won't. Let's be honest. A couple of more generations after us, will probably be the ones who live up there. But what will be, what will happen when we get there? 
You know what? Right. You know, will there will there just be one specific race of people up there? Because what's it called? We won't learn how to live with each other anymore. And there just seems to be, you know, will the idea of the family not even be present anymore? Because what's it called? The work will consume them the most and there won't even be time for what's it called families. With As you can tell right now in, in our modern society, that seems to be happening. A lot of families, a lot of children grow up with their mothers and fathers coming home for about at least three hours to interact with them. And then the rest of the time is spent sleeping so that way they can wake up the next day, go to work and take the kids to school. You know, it, it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's not a, it's not a surprise when you hear that kids spend more time with their teachers than they do with their parents. Right. Right. And I definitely have more to comment on that, but there's some, there's some stuff that I want to get through. And then at the end, I'll definitely have some things to say about that, but I want to wait until the end. Cause yeah. I, think, I think the movie wraps it up well with that, with those statements. I think you're right on, right on the nose. Yeah. And so, of course, we keep moving on. We see, you know, the daily life of the people on here. Like, they see, they still do exercise, you know. Uh, by the way, that's just incredible, the way that they're just running around the whole thing, you know. And then, of course, when she gets on the platform and she just turns around and she goes back into this other part. And, of course, the famous shot of them walking through the, uh, through the, through the hall of the, of, the, of the spaceship with the... With with uh with Dave in his red famous what's it called astronaut outfit and you know of course you you can't keep going through this movie without bringing up the beauty of just the way this all looks and how visually appealing it does look, even right. though it is a very very scary thing to kind of come to terms with because this is one big station up in mm-hmm. space, which it makes it even more terrifying when you know how let's go of the other guy, and he just keeps going because you don't. You don't die when you get cut off and you and you start flowing around. You have to wait to die. But the worst part that is more scary is that you're alone throughout that process. At least when you die here on Earth, your body is found and you get to be buried. But when you're up there, you're just floating among the the just absolutely darkness. Dude. Can't imagine. <laughs> Spaces. I can't, I can't imagine that. It's a very anxiety-inducing thought, don't you think? Yeah, very, very much so. Um, But yeah, I mean, with with the advancement of technology in this movie, I agree. You just see like, you just see us advance to a point where we lose, or we we keep losing touch with um, what we take pride in day to day, like like family and relationships. Um, and I found it really interesting, like same thing, Dr. Floyd, he, he, um, he arrives like at at the beginning, he has this conversation with, um, some other, some other doctors and some Russian doctors. Um, I like that scene, by the way, I kind of wanted to point out, um, I think there was an interesting, like, uh, parallel between that scene with the doctors, um, the Russian doctors, where he he talks about like what's happening um, on the like American space craft or something, because um, they're a little suspicious and they said that um, like phone lines were down or something. I I can't remember exactly what they say, but um, 
And he's like, oh, I can't tell you. I, I can't disclose that information. And I saw a nice par- an interesting parallel between like that and the Don Up Man scene when the it's like the, the two battling um, like congregations of chimpanzees when they're when they're battling over that that watering hole. I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, still still human versus human or chimp versus chimp, but and we've advanced two thousand years, but there's still that tension. Um, and then I, I love how at one point you notice he speaks to one of the doctors he's a little more familiar with. Um, and he says like, Hey, how's your husband? Hope he, hope he's doing well. This is while they're out in space, of course. And she says, Oh, he's great. He's at the bottom of the sea right now studying X, Y, Z. I don't, I don't know what he's studying, but he was, he was at the bottom of the sea. And it's like, just at that moment, Kubrick really like just hammers the nail in. And he's like, look what technology has done. It has put, literally the person that you married, that you vowed like everything to, you are like one now, but one is in space and one is in the ocean. <laughs> like as far as, as far as away as you can get. And that's what technology has done to us. And then right after that, or right before that, I can't remember, it goes right into um, Floyd talking to his daughter, which is something we just spoke about. Like that, that again, technology is just separating those intimate relationships. And then we go into Floyd transferring to the moon from the, from the larger spaceship and he's being fed food, but the food is like juice boxes. It's like fish in like liquid form. And so we've, we've lost that intimacy with family earlier on, but now he's losing this intimacy with um, like food and nutrients, which is something we take so much pride in, in our cultures. Um, you know, being able to cook and spice it up and, and think about our family when we're cooking whatever it is we like to cook. And, you know, we think about how our mom used to make it this way, but instead Floyd's just traveling across space and these these waiters are wearing these weightless boots, and um, which is awesome as well. Beautiful to see Kubrick do that. But he's being fed these like juice boxes with different nutrients. And again, just losing, losing that intimacy with food, I think is... Kubrick just nailing, nailing it on the head with that technology and that innovation and evolution. We're just losing that intimacy and that humanity that we keep speaking about. Well, yeah, I mean, how, you look at it to, in the sense of today, man, you know, a lot of our conversations are happening over the phone, especially right now during our times during this pandemic. You know, how many of us yeah. are having Zoom calls? How many of us are having Skype calls? Like we can't be you have no idea how much I'd rather be doing this in person. Than, oh, yeah. than over a Zoom or a, what's it called, a Skype call. Like, it just, yes. I, I, that's why, you know, I, I was supposed to have another guest on this show next season, but I said, I can't do this one without you being in person. Like, I don't want to do it over the call with you. Like, it just yeah. doesn't feel right. But, you know, we, we, we keep on getting detached and detached with every single one. And I wanted to go kind of keep going forward, man. And I want to get, because, you know, during all this, you know, we still hear about the monolith. Oh, it's in... It's the monolith that was present during the apes, uh, with the apes, and you go to this remote planet where it's supposed to be, and mm-hmm. uh, this sequence is one of my favorites because if anybody comes to me and they say, "I never pictured Kubrick making the shiny," I, uh, shiny, and I couldn't believe he would do horror. That scene 
in that planet when they're going to monolith to the monolith that's straight up horror that's yeah, horror right. yeah the music in the back creating this ominous type of feeling where it's got you on edge asking like what is it that they're going towards what is it like what is this going to look like what is it going to do to them dude that's a, that's a scene straight out of a horror movie that was 100% a scene straight out of the horror movie you're right you're right um definitely got some goosebumps during that scene um and again like what is it that that they they discover the monolith they're hanging out they're um you know really in a trance during this they're like touching it dramatically and wanting to take pictures with it. And then it jumps to, you know, there's that screech and all of them are, are holding their heads and freaking out and it jumps to boom. Now we're on our way to Mars, right? Mm, Jupiter, because then they find out that there's another one in Jupiter. Right, right, yeah. right. I, I think so. I'm <laughs> Well, you know, uh, after I, that is when all the stuff with how starts happens, how starts happening, because right. what's it called? Uh, um, you know, then we start seeing, you know, the, the, what's it called when they grab it and then they all the lights start to what's it called emit after it and stuff. And, you know, they start asking, like, you know, how, like, what's it called? Uh, what was up with that? You know, you're supposed to be the most intelligent life form right now. And, right. Uh, you know, they're like, okay, well, you know, some, you know, sometimes stuff gets read wrong. And they're like, okay, well, 18 months later, you know, we find out that, hey, there's another one. There's another one by Jupiter. And now right. we're being bound by there. And then we get into possibly one of the most interesting parts of this movie that I like to always talk about. It's the whole, uh, whole essence of artificial intelligence here, man. And right. uh, how sometimes our curiosities do, do have consequences. Because... Right. How is the so first of all, he's the 9,000 unit, which is supposed to be the most advanced unit that we have in this film. And you know, they they the, us as humans seem to think that these machines aren't smarter than us, but we seem to find out every single day that our phones can do something that we didn't think they would do. I mean, how many for the longest time I didn't know with the original iPhone that if you press the home button to shut it down, to shut the, the home button to close it. What's it called? The volume down, and then the home button that used to be right here. If you press right. it down, it would completely reset your phone, so that way right. it would turn back on, and it would, you know, save it from being dumb and stuff, right? When it's giving you trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This that phone was, you know, we that was like the iPhone last day. Last iPhone that I had was like the eight. I know the seven plus. This was a phone that's been out for, you know, this is a type. It's a phone line, a phone model. It's been out uh -huh. since 2010. Uh -huh. And eight years later, I never knew about this, which was supposed to be something you you knew since the first two phone lines from, a, from the first line of phones from, from iPhone with the, the iPhone and the iPhone 3GS and all those. But still, right. somehow I didn't know about that, which also has to probably say something about my stupidity. But, you know, we'll never, I, we'll, we won't get into that. You're just a geezer. Yeah. You're still all this stuff. But these the humans with Dr. Floyd, I mean, what's it called, Dr. Floyd and Dave and all these other ones, you know, they don't really seem to understand the HAL unit. They have right. him there because he is of use. And yeah. he's, what's it called, he's reliable for what he's there for. Right. But they don't really understand what he can do. 
So that's why the uh, us as the audience are so surprised when Hal's able to read their lips. And then they're like, well, crap, he's about to kill. Even though he never lands a single, you know, he can't land a finger on them, can't actually kill him. He does kill him. Hal does yeah. kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Hal, uh, Hal's definitely like one of my favorite characters. And it's just crazy. Um, he, <laughs> there's so much we could, we could talk about with Hal. Um, what, what I found most interesting about how, and, and to go back, cause I think one of my main points are like, what I got most out of this movie is, is how much, um, technology takes us away from each other and breaks away those intimate relationships. What I was going to say is, is how in this movie feels like or in this in this sequence, sorry, seems like one of the most human out of out of the three. Um, he's constantly stating these opinions and thoughts, and he states that he's scared and that he's mm-hmm. curious. And the whole time, like these astronauts don't really interact with each other. Um, very much, and unless it seems like they have to, but um, how the whole time seems like one of the most human, and um, yeah, I, I think like what you said earlier, you were people say they're surprised when Kubrick made the horror movie, but like this this whole sequence is pretty creepy as well. Like Hal has all this power and seems more human than the humans themselves, and literally has control over everything in the ship. And the humans who we can, who we are supposed to relate to, but I don't know if we really can because these dudes are like literally eating paste, which looks disgusting um, for their nutrients. And the others are like hibernating. But, um, you know, we, it's like, it's like, who, who, who are we supposed to relate to? Who are we, who are we supposed to see as ourselves? Who are we supposed to trust? Um, but, but how, yeah, he, he has so much power and control over everything. It's like, yeah, wh- where is he going to go? And then we find out, we find out that he, he's made this mistake. And um, it's like, man, this literally like if the ship makes a mistake, what, what are we to do? Who, what are we, what are we supposed to think? So much is in the air at this moment. And I think that that's, I just love this movie, man. <laughs> There's so much great storytelling through this and so much emotion that you can feel, um, even with how slow it is, like the way he builds this movie and the way he makes you feel with, with these minute experiences. Um, yeah. You have, you have anything to say? I feel like I could ramble on, but no, no, no. I mean, it's, it's true, man. It's like, you know, if the machine can't even trust us, that has a lot to say with the fact that we can't even trust each other. I mean, these astronauts, astronauts never share a genuine laugh with each other. They yeah. never share their, their fears with each other. They never share their happy moments with each other. Right. But the only person we get fear from is Hal when he's about to be disconnected, when he says, I'm scared. And he's pleading and asking for him not to do what he's about to do. And also, I think the thing that makes it even more creepy is the fact that, that Kubrick decides to go handheld during that, most of that scene. 
when he's going there because it's 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 just once again building and building up to that weird sensation that he's gonna go and do something, and you know how you know how murders these people, but how how it was only created for one certain thing. Mm-hmm. He's not like us humans who have years and years for us to understand our existence and understand what is the reason why we are on this earth. And some of us don't even get to that when we, when we, when we, uh, when we die, because we all will die. Um, how was created to maintain the ship, to control it and to complete the mission. So can you really blame how for wanting to protect the mission when he sees that these two people are trying to sabotage it when that's the only thing he's ever been programmed to do. It's very true. You can't be blamed. He can't be blamed. He, that is what he was created to do. So, uh, of course, of course, once again, it goes to show, even the machines are willing to kill. You know, just like the Don and Man, the, the apes were there killing each other with the, with the bone. The, and, and that bone, in a sense, does symbolize the power over the others. And here, I how say, I don't, I don't feel like he had to kill those who were hibernating. Yeah, he he could have gotten rid of the two that were trying to get rid of him, but he didn't have to kill those who who were hibernating. I, he was he was definitely more malicious than he had to be. Um. But that is a good point, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, it, it it's an abuse of power. We we you know, even us as humans, we do have an abuse of power at times. And you know, what's it called? Uh, you, you see it in the world that we are right now, man. We are stricken with you know a world full of police brutality and, uh, and murderings by those in the police state and uh, imperialist armies uh, occupying land that shouldn't be occupied by them. And it's an abuse of power. We, we, you know, if, if, if our motives of this machine is to just maintain the ship, you know, you don't have to kill the people that are hibernating. But then again, this is a machine that is just observing humans days and day, day in and day out. Of course, the, 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 the machine would also learn to kind of think like a human at times too because it was created by a human. Of course. So, um, of course, what's it called? I want to continue on with our conversation here on 2001 in Space Odyssey, but it is definitely a time needed for the commercial break. So, holy crap, I've got a, a cockroach right here. I probably should get that going there. What's it called? But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely not happened on a, on a show before. But, um, you know, we'll be returning from our, uh, our, what's it called, from commercial break when we come back. But uh, go ahead and listen to these wonderful commercials made by some wonderful people here at the Nerdcore Podcast Network. And uh, we'll be back after this commercial break. Hey, I'm Raulan Ando Mendoza, and this is... Jabril Newton. And we are the hosts of High Flyer Radio. Radio. And finally, pro wrestling has come back to the Nerdcore Podcast feed in the form of a show hosted by Jabril and I. And we talk about everything and anything in the pro wrestling world on Mondays at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Nothing's off limits. Whatever you guys want to talk about, it is from AEW to SmackDown to Raw to NXT. Nothing's off the table. We can talk about it. We're going to talk all about it. And if you can get it a day early, you should go to the www.patreon.com slash the nerdcore and pledge to the tiers on there so you can get this show and a lot of shows days early before anybody else gets to hear it. 
But enough talking about it. We'll go ahead and see you there at the Squared Circle. Oh, yeah. Don't tap out. Tune in. Tune in. Hey, it's Ashley from the Gamer Core. You may remember me from such episodes as Big Screen Mess, Mo Money Mo Platforms, and Brad Can Read. Tune in weekly as I blab with my co-hosts Raul the Nerdy Chicano and Brad the Random Germ about the latest news in gaming and gush over what we're playing at the moment. Oh yeah, and we got the deals too. Keep up with the latest deals in gaming and what's happening as I mediate Brad and Raul fighting like a married couple. Will Death Stranding ever come out? Will Cyberpunk 2077 live up to the hype? Is the next gen worth a $500 console price tag? And has there ever been a movie adaptation of a video game that's been done right? It's all on the Gamer Core podcast, everywhere where podcasts are. Hey everyone, my name is Raul Dinari Chicano, and I am the host of The Impert Files. The Impert Files is an interview show brought to you every Thursday on the Nerd Core podcast feed. And I interview people such as filmmakers, content creators on YouTube, and podcasters like Colton Geschwander. And if you want to listen to that early, a whole week early, all you got to do is go to the Patreon and pledge to the $1 tier. And if you want to listen to it with the general public, then go to Nerdcore Podcast Feed on anchor.fm slash the Nerdcore. And the case is closed, but it's not classified. See you guys there. Hey guys, this is Brad, a.k.a. Young Yoda. Raul said I had to make an ad, so that's what I'm doing. Um, it's supposed to be for Unstructured, but as you guys know, you can freaking catch me everywhere. When it comes to this podcast feed, you can find me on the Nerd Cores, on Gamer Cores, on Nerdy Chicanos sometimes when I get lost. Uh, I mean, but for this particular one, I want you guys to go check out Unstructured. The role gave me free reign to do whatever I want to do. I don't know what he was thinking. So go hear me talk about LeBron James and Taco Tuesday, vaping. Uh, so many other freaking weird topics that, uh, chimichangas, that's a good one. Uh, shout out to Deadpool. And yeah, I, I guess this is the end of the ad. So if you guys want to find me, you can find me all over the place on this, uh, podcast feed. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. I love you all. And nerd up. Hello, 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 guys and gals, and you're listening to The Ladies of Nerdcore. I am your host, Daniela Nunez, and along with my amazing co-host, Ashley Garcia, we discuss many things like social impact, pop culture, political realms, and any controversy surrounding the nerdverse. Tune in and listen to us bi-weekly on the Nerdcore podcast feed, and we will love to chat and hear your thoughts on our wonderful show. And thank you again for listening to The Ladies of Nerdcore. What's up, everybody? It is me, Raul, and I'm one of the hosts of the Nerdy Chicano Show. The Nerdy Chicano Show is a comedic show brought to you by Luis and myself, and it comes to you all every Sunday on the Nerdcore podcast feed. You can catch it a day early by becoming a Patreon and supporting us at the $1 tier. And I don't really know how to explain this show other than it's fun. We get to talk about whatever we want, and it helps you move on in the week. So if you want to catch on, if you want to catch the the Nerdy Chicano Show every Sunday at 8 a.m. All you got to do is go to anchor.fm slash the nerdcore, and we'll see you there, baby. Hey, everyone, I'm Raul. And I'm Brad. And we're the hosts of the Nerdcore Podcast, the podcast that talks that nerd. Not on this ad, right? Not and on this one. 
We come to you every Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday. On the Mondays, we talk the news. That's the box office, the news of the week, and your trailer talk, if there is any. And on Tuesday, we have our theme review. And on Saturday, you have a Saturday morning review, usually movies that have come out in the week, or anything we want to talk about. Right, Brett? Exactly. Whatever we want to talk about, this is our show. If you don't like it, then you don't have to listen. We're the flagship show of the Nerdcore Podcast feed, and we can be found everywhere you can listen to podcasts like Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. So if you want to talk that nerd stuff with us every Monday, Tuesday, and Saturday, make sure you tune in. And Brad? Young Yoda out. All right, you're back from break, and we're here with the Cinema Condition, and we're still talking about 2001 A Space Odyssey, but I want to thank you guys for listening to those wonderful commercial breaks because they're made by a lot of wonderful people who work a lot, work really hard on those podcasts, even though right now a lot of them aren't really in production because of a worldwide pandemic. And if you didn't know we were in a pandemic, then you've probably been living under a rock or something or you. Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, I want to say thank you guys for listening to those, but if you want to listen to more of those shows, you can always go to anchor.fm slash nerdcore. That is anchor.fm slash the nerdcore CRPS. The show also premieres on there, but on there right now, as of right now, when you're getting this episode, I believe you are on episode 23, so you're behind. You're behind on there. If you're listening on that feed, you are behind, and if you're on this feed, the Cinema Condition feed, then you are up to date, so I think you know which feed you want to be listening on, but it doesn't matter. Whether you're listening on there or listening on here, I'm glad you're listening, but uh, make sure you leave a rate and review on your Apple Podcast or Stitcher page on the anchor.fn slash nerdcore uh, because it really does help us out. So, uh, with that being said, we're going to go come back get back into our conversation right here. All right, Patrick, we're back and we're doing, we're still talking about, uh, how here, how 9,000, which, uh, by the way, it's crazy how Kubrick makes this thing so creepy with just a red dot, you know, like when, when he, uh, when he cuts the leash from, uh, from that doctor, from one of the astronauts, and how it's the what's it called edit that keeps on getting more and more and close, and then it cuts to the to the thing being unleashed. It's like, you know, it's it's crazy how uh, not just the editing, but just the way that where that Kubrick really establishes like, yo, this machine just killed someone. Right. Yeah. Right. So before we about so scary being tumbled mm-hmm. around in space, that vast emptiness. It's, yeah. Imagine. Yeah, and you know, of course, what's it called? Gravity would end up doing something with that later on. You know, that's another great movie. I'm, I'm a big fan of the space movies, man, and, f- and freaking Gravity is just another example of it. Because uh, you watch that movie, you watch that movie, and you really do see that Quaron took a lot of inspiration from 2001: mm-hmm. Space Odyssey. So, uh, yeah, right. before we yeah. kind of finish, oh, I'm sorry, Patrick, were you going to say something? I was going to say you have a crush on Quaron, right? Bro. Anybody who knows me knows that I'm a big fan of the Three Amigos, bro. They're they're, yeah. my, they're my favorites. But uh, you and know, who, who are the Three Amigos? Uh, Alfonso Cuarón, Guillermo del Toro, and Alejandro González Iñárritu. Oh. Yes, yes, the Three Amigos of uh, Mexican cinema. The my 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 the three goats to me, man. Yeah, Cuarón is one of my uh, favorites, and uh, you know, of course. Uh, Alejandro is my favorite director of all time and uh, Beautiful is my favorite movie of all time. Which, by the way, guys, nobody has chosen that movie and I don't think anybody wants to discuss that movie with me. <laughs> but... Uh, you sit with yourself. I can't do an episode by myself, man. That's that's not what this yeah. podcast is about. No, you'll you'll be the fourth uh, Mexican great, though. That's that's yeah. that's for sure. sure Thanks, like man. To see. 
Thanks, man. That's my legacy. So before we move on from hell, I do want to talk about that scene where uh, where Dave does what's it called unplug him. And uh, we were talking a little bit about it, how, you know, Kubrick really does go handheld and it really does kind of, you know, introduce that creepiness in this part. But just there's also something else that, you know, we don't really bring up. But the genius and the sound design of the. It's 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 like, wow, like every time I hear that part, I get chills like throughout. It's not just even in that scene, but before that, it happens as well. It's just that chills. It's like we're hearing him breathe like so deeply, but it's not just hearing him breathe, but the how it sounds from that that suit he has on. Right. Right. Yeah. Just the heaviness of like being in his head and experiencing like right, right there with him. It's like when you can hear someone breathe, you got to be damn close to him, you know? So mm-hmm. really experiencing that moment with him and that tension. And um, I'm pretty sure Kubrick just recorded that himself. Like that was his breath. Um, I wonder. He, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere that he just like, it's like, man, I'll just do this myself and I'll breathe into a mic for 10 minutes. Like, no, no big deal. Um, no big deal. Slap that on top. And I mean, that's as as simple as you can get. Like, you know, a film student could do that. But yeah, um, Kubrick did it and added it with some amazing visuals and amazing story and worked really well to to get those goosebumps on your skin. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, agreed that that sound design is incredible. And then getting into like, you know, the way how reacts when he's unplugging all those like glass discs. Um, very creepy. Yeah. And I'm, I think that's, that may be one of the moments that I feel like I don't really know what exactly was going on. You know, when, when he dies and he starts singing that song and it was like his last little swan song. And then Dr. Haywood Floyd comes on and um, talks about the mission or, or, or something. Um, I think that's one of the moments that I'm, I feel like I, I, I've never read or researched or understood exactly like what was going on in that moment. And then I, maybe that's what was intended is just like that confusion and that tension. Yeah, it, it makes for a really creepy moment when, you know, he's unplugging and of course the voice keeps getting lower and lower and, it, you know, he keeps saying, I'm like, I, I promise I've learned from my mistakes and I won't do that ever again. And he's like, I'm scared, Dave, please. But in the most creepy voice, right? I'm scared, right. Dave, please don't do this. I have learned my... And it just keeps getting lower and lower until he starts singing that song. And yeah, that always does kind of strike me. Like, I'm like... Wow, like you know, what's what's really the song for? Like you know, it's kind of like uh, weird, but you know, a lot of movies would end up taking that that whole trope of it with the machine doing the song because um, the only one that can pop into my head, and yes, I'm bringing up a movie that's absolutely terrible. I don't like this movie. Uh, the one that I can remember is uh, Age of Ultron, Avengers: Age of Ultron, when Ultron gets you know the first one gets killed. And he's singing that song of, you can't get strings on me. And it's like, yeah, it's like even, so after uh, 2001, what's it called? Uh, that kind of gets adopted as like, oh, have the machine sing a song. Have the machine <laughs> sing a song. But. I guess that, that kind of goes back to like you saying, you talking about how, 
you know, how is so human because it was made by humans. In the end, it's just human. And I think it, that's what it goes back to is I, I think Hal states that that song was taught to him by his creator. And he mm-hmm. goes back to like, you know, one of our most human things is just like I stated earlier, like food and culture and, and music. And in this case, like a, a song, music and um, him just singing and expressing like, you know, that that humanity alongside Bowman and his um, ability to feel scared in that moment. Um, yeah, I, th- I think a lot about during that sequence, how how much how feels more human than the other two other two characters in that sequence or the other two characters who are active in that sequence. Of course, we have um, those who are hibernating. Yeah. They don't do anything. Um, and to go alongside that, I, I remember when Frank Poole is resting on his chair, he gets a call from his, it's a recorded call from his parents as well. Um, similar to when Dr. Floyd was calling his daughter, except earlier when we haven't advanced to the point where we're going to Jupiter, Dr. Haywood Floyd was talking live, right, with his daughter. But at this point, when Poole is talking to his parents, he's not even talking to them. It's a recorded, um, it's a recording, and, and they are able to tell him happy birthday but the only one who, who tells Poole happy birthday immediately, like in person, is Hal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hal is the one that says happy birthday, Frank. Um, his parents are able to say it, but from a distance, and they say it many, many minutes or hours or days earlier because it's a recorded video for him. Um, the only one who's able to give him that um, immediate um, love or attention is how, yeah. um, and, and then we see that when Hal is dying, like you said, like that he's, he's scared. He goes to that, that human aspect of like culture and singing a song to maybe comfort himself. Um, and yeah, I think a lot about, a lot about that when I see the sequence is just how, how human Hal feels opposed to the two characters, the two active characters in that sequence. I think also Hal brings up something that's really interesting, and I uh, I got to read it here. Uh, he uh, Hal also says, "I am putting myself to the fullest possible use, which is all that I that all I think that any conscious entity can ever hope to do." You know, and and it's once again goes back. Why are we up there? We we as humans, not only are we curious, but we want to be of use. We always want to be of something like. We, we can't seem to understand what it means to not do something. And yeah, for, for some people, that's a good thing. I, I, I can't go a day without having doing something. I can't just sit around and not do something. But, you know, sometimes we, it's, it's, not, it's fine for us to kind of just take a step back and relax and kind of look at the grand scheme of things that we see in this world and know that, hey, maybe right now isn't really the time that we need to be, you know, doing stuff. But... You know, how brings that up? And he's like, you know, I'm, I am here to be of service to you all. And I'm putting myself to my most fullest operation. And I want to bring up the song that he was he was singing. Because I, I do have to bring it up because it is quite the interesting lyrics if you remember it. 
So he says, Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer, do. I'm half crazy all for the love of you. It won't be a stylish marriage. I can't afford a carriage. But you'll look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle built for two. I don't think it's a coincidence that 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 he's reciting a love song, which, you know, a song built a song based on one of the most human emotions we know. One of the right. one of the most primal ones, you know, the, the most primal thing we do, right? You know, we kill, but we also love. We've been loving since the dawn of man too. We've been loving each other as I mean, if you look at it from the biblical sense, we've been loving each other as neighbors, right? But if you look at it from like, you know, what's it called? The, you, know, you know, the human aspect as well. You know, we've been loving each other. We've been loving our partners. We've been loving our friends. We've been loving the people that work with us and stuff. How is the only one who brings up love in this whole two hours and 28 minutes of a movie? But the humans are the only, are, do not who are supposed to be the people who know this feeling the most. But the machine is the one who recites a love song. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The humans don't, don't involve themselves much in, you know, cooking or tasty food and the humans don't indulge in their love with each other and, express their love very much. Um, yeah. You know, they, they do partially through their video chats, but it doesn't really feel like love. It's pretty bland and straightforward. And Hey, how are you? Hey, what's going on? But they don't, they don't talk about, you know, how much they love each other and how what their wishes are to be with each other. And, and, um, what that's like. And that's interesting. You know, the one, again, the the one who you would think is the least human becomes the most human. Exactly. And you know, they never once tell each other, Hey, I miss you. I really want to see you. I wish I could just leave from this pod and go back to earth and see you and stuff. Like there's never that instance in here. It's always just like so detached from each other. And so desensitized as if we're not even human anymore. We're the ones who become machines and we've lost, uh, and we've lost track of what we were, you know, even though what we were has always been that primal, what's it called feeling in us, but at least deep down in us, we've, we've always had love in there somehow. So after all that, of course they go to Jupiter to go find that next monolith and uh, probably one of the great, <laughs> I, I have to do this whole part because when I first watched this movie, I didn't expect this, what was going to happen with this. I mean, I was telling Patrick, you know, a lot of people were apprehensive towards watching this movie because one of the taglines that marketed this movie, and it's on the poster that I have of 2001, which I want to frame. It says, 2001 is very sorry, you see, a Stanley Kubrick production. The tagline is the ultimate trip. Now, when you see that log line, you're like, okay, you've got a really creepy poster here making it look like we're on some psychedelics and uh, you have the ultimate trip. I think this is about, you know, what's it called? Drugs. And that's why people were so apprehensive at first because of the ultimate trip log line. But now, you know, of course, 
it, it meant the ultimate trip, like voyage through space, not trip as in psychedelics. Right. So when he reaches the uh, the monolith, and uh, we what's it called? I believe he gets sucked. He gets like sucked out, right? And he starts going through this basically whole dimension portal wormhole of color, and he sees all these different rays coming out of it. At first, it's like some stuff coming out and out and out. You know, and then he starts seeing like, you know, lands in different colors and you and you also cut to the astronaut's eye blinking and like his eye is just open wide. It's not like it's there's no fear there. There's no fear of him wanting to close it so that way he doesn't see what he's showing. His eye is wide open. It's wide open. It's what's it called? It's um, it's bloodshot and he's looking and he's blinking and blinking and blinking like he cannot imagine what it is that he's watching. Patrick, right. I want to first find out how did you react when you first saw that the first time? I think I was a freshman in high school. So, man, when I watched that, I think I feel like I was just like drooling. <laughs> I was like, what what is this? What is what am I supposed to be thinking? Like, I, I think that's what it, a, a lot of what it was, was what am I supposed to be thinking right now? This is so, which is probably exactly what Kubrick wanted. I mean, I guess you could predict a lot of different things with that, but if you want to be closest to Frank Poole, it's like, what am I supposed to be thinking? Or I, I can't even think because it's so wild and so unique from the rest of the film. Um, you don't get that, that drug trip feeling that you get with those flashing colors and um, I had the pleasure of showing this to one of my friends for the first time recently. Um, he had never seen it before and I had seen it like three, four or five times or something. Um, and so showing that with him and him just hearing his like oohs and ahs during that moment was really cool to me. Um, yeah, man, I, I don't remember exactly what I felt, but I, it was definitely like a, what am I supposed to be thinking type thing. Yeah, so that was accomplished by, uh, and I'm reading it off here, uh, slit-scan photography of thousands of high-contrast images on film, including op art paintings, architectural drawings, moir patterns, pointed printed circuits, and electron microscope photographs of mole molecular and crystal structures. So uh, it was, it was, it's, it's wild, man. Like what he's able to do with all, you know, it's the way you think about how they, how they shot the opening scene of a uh, Blade Runner, you know, it's just Ridley Scott going down on this thing. Right. And, uh, you know, pointing the camera down at this model he created, but it's like, like when I first saw that, I was blown away. I was like, well, crap, what am I watching? Like, am I even <laughs> like, in a sense, I'm thinking like, am I even allowed to be seeing this? Like, you know, this, uh -huh. feels, this, this feels like otherworldly. Like I've never... Once again, my mind goes directly. This was made in, in 1968. You can right. make that in 1968. And, yeah. and it's just, it's, it's like, wow, like, I can't believe this is happening. And just everything going through that part, by, which, by the way, I, I'm pretty sure is different when you're on drugs. Because I heard one dude when I was buying the poster was like, oh, yeah, man, I took my, some, some shrooms at just the right amount of time where they would hit when that scene happens. And he goes, and it's something else. Right. Uh, 
And uh, yeah, I just I remember just being in all of what is happening, and and of course I I have to, I always bring up Interstellar with this part as well because it's very different from when um when um Cooper Matthew McConaughey's character jumps into the um into the black hole in Interstellar and you see all that what's happening, but in here it's like all it's just pouring out and you're like what the hell is going on here, and of course he's he's going through and he's seeing these lands and he's traveling and he's traveling even though he doesn't seem to understand what it is that he's traveling through. He's just, he's just, he's just observing, which once again, when we're put into these situations where we're like, we're, we're, we're just the observer, you know, there's no, there's like, even in these moments, like there's no time to pull out a camera. There's no time to pull out. What's it called? A a machine to, to record. What is it that we're watching? We are just simply observers in this grand scheme of the universe. We're just observers. Right. Yeah. Which is, which is once again, I mean, it's, it's very difficult when you discuss the whole existential part of this film, which is one of the biggest themes in it. And I feel like we have been discussing that throughout this whole film, but you know, once again, we're just, we're just observers. And, and uh, of course we just, he keeps on going through that and he reaches to uh, probably one of the most interesting parts, which is, is you know, leading to the ending uh, I still don't understand why you would choose the neoclassical type of set in this part, but uh, you know, we the doctor, what's it called, the astronaut, he lands in his room. The monolith is there, and he and he enters his room where he sees an older version of himself, and he's you know dressed in this very neoclassical type of a type of getup, and he's eating. And uh, I want to hear your take on this part. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, I mean, so we have when I first thought when I first saw it, I I just thought heaven. You know, this this dude has mm-hmm. reached heaven, I guess. Um, and I'm I'm sure that's that's a theory that's been studied. Um, but yeah, it seems as if this man has reached some sort of like higher higher space or like has been accepted into this extreme um just like bougie i want to say environment um he's wrapping he's wrapping he's rapidly aging and growing and becoming older and older and um yeah, I really like when he finally sees himself sitting down and eating. Again, going back to like when you said you you, you were surprised when people said that they um, didn't think that Kubrick could do horror movies. Because again, like just that whole sequence of like seeing himself age like that was, was pretty damn creepy to me. Um and he sees himself eating and i want to go back to how technology made us or how kubrick portrays the way that technology made us so passive um from the sequences when dr haywood floyd is flying through space and the the juice box meals are fed to him. And then as, as like he's sleeping, I believe they like wake him up 
to give him food. <laughs> it's like this man literally didn't have to do anything. He doesn't even have to cut his meal. He just has to sip out of a straw. And then on to the next sequence, it's like they're eating paste to to give themselves food. And then we're on to the final sequence when he's at when he's really old. And again, I keep bringing up this term because I feel like it fits really well or this this idea that Kubrick is just like nailing the head the head of the nail or, or hammering the head of the nail when he has the man eating on this like hotel push cart or service cart is what it looks like. It has wheels on it. So it seems like he's being served again, his final meal um, in that, in that final sequence when he's at, when he's his oldest and, or right before he's his oldest, he's, he's old, but still mobile. And he sits down at that, um, that like hotel service cart is what it looked like to me or, something similar um and he's sitting there you know eating his his food but it was it was given to him passively through through something i don't know if it's like some crazy alien or or what because it's something crazy in space but um yeah again it's just like we have advanced to this point when we've lost touch with that creation of like energy and and food um and i always found that interesting um yeah do you have anything to say about that yeah my my take is completely different man um i don't even think i don't think that's heaven bro yeah and i I don't know i think that's straight up hell he's alone he's aged and he's alone it shows that we've We've grown so so we keep on going and going and going and our curiosity keeps going and going and look where it gets us, man. We're so mm-hmm. detached and we're so alone. We're eating our final meals. We're sleeping in alone in a bed by ourselves and we're aging away and we're just dying. And right. we think that all these and we think that all these accomplishments that we have are so grand and vast. Mm-hmm. But at the end we're just we're alone we're sleeping in a bed alone and we're dying off and we, what's it called? This is probably, what's it called? A, a, a room in a vast space colony away from family because he's still working and working and working, but he's probably reached the status where he's able to actually eat real food. Right. But what's it all for? If we're just right there uh, alone and I, and I don't, and, and of course, what's it called? I'm not saying your take is wrong. I think it, it's also a really interesting take that I'm, I'm hearing from you. Because what's it called? Yes. What's it called? We've gone from, they went from sipping out of a straw to this elderly man eating. And maybe somebody else can come to me and say, no, Raul, you're wrong. What's it called? That's him seeing his deepest desire of being just back to his classical roots of being human and not having to deal with this, you know, uh, space, space travel, being so far from home. He just wants to be alone back in the neoclassical times and eating meats and stuff but uh i think it's just us once again being reminded that we shouldn't be like icarus in the greek in the greek in the greek tale we shouldn't go flying too close to the sun we should always have some form of feet on the ground to remind us of what is important in our lives because then we end up like this man who's just aging away dying 
and there's no one beside him in on his bed sleeping with him. There's nobody to check up on him. Food is being given to him by probably some extraterrestrial life because humans are probably minuscule now. Like, mm-hmm. you really start to think about him. And that's where I think the biggest theme of existentialism is here. It's in the ending. Uh, it's in it's in this final sequence. But uh, what what do you think about my take? Yeah, so I'm definitely with you. I I don't think I agree necessarily that it's heaven. Um, I think I just say that because I associate, you know, these bright yeah. white colors with heaven so much. Yeah. I definitely saw it more as a negative feeling. But I think that's like the more I think about it, it, it seems that going back to an article I read I think it was an interview with Kubrick. I don't even think it was about 2001, but somehow 2001 came up as I'm sure it did with many of his interviews that he did post 2001. But he talks about how he really appreciated when he made 2001 that like so many people could get so many different things from it. You know, I think he, I think he says like the quote says something like an Alabama truck driver can get something completely different can go in and get something different and still enjoy it and a philosophy professor at cambridge university could could go watch it and get something different and still enjoy it um and yeah i i think some people can take like a heaven sense to it because maybe for some people it is heaven just to be alone in this beautiful white space with these beautiful paintings and a robe and just be an old man chilling and eating some food that was served to him and cutting up and hanging out. Um, and, and maybe it is just dying alone peacefully on this giant bed. Um, maybe that is heaven to, to some people. To me, I agree with you. I think it is a little more hellish. I don't, I don't like to be alone like that. I, I do appreciate myself and I do appreciate my time alone, but at the end of the day, I want to, I want to be alone or, or I want to die and, and end my time with the ones that I love and the ones that I care for. And I want to be able to, um, have, have some sort of like experience and relationship around me rather than, you know, this, just this pristine white architecture and, um, something that looks so, so pure. Um, so, so I'm with you. I, I think it is a little more hellish to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then just the way the, just the way he, by the way, just the way the makeup team made the person look, just like he literally looks like he's just on his last days, looking like he can't even catch a single breath. And yeah, I could also understand if somebody made the, uh, the, what's it called? Uh, the argument that this is more purgatory as well. It's like, you know, wow, like this guy just cannot catch a break anymore. He's, you know, he's seen it all, but now he's being kept in this one place secluded and he's just not dying, even though he looks like he's on his last days, but he's just not dying at all. And, uh, yeah, I, I can also see the argument for heaven, man, the new heaven. And then it's just like, wow, because, yeah, th- those white colors, they they do kind of give me that sense, too. But, you know, also you go back to Dante's, Dante's what's it called, the Divine Comedy, right? You know, and the, the, the most inner part of hell is not even hot. There's no fire. It's just... It's cold. It's incredibly cold. And what's the color of snow? White. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if Kubrick was a fan of Dante or not, but, uh, you know, 
whenever I think about that, I, I not just I think about Brad, who always brings up that inner work in hell, but I also think about Carrera, who was always talking about like, you know, Dante and how Dante's work, what's it called? Dante's Divine Comedy was so, what's it called, important in, in a lot of these movies that we see. And like, there's so many references to it. But uh, yeah, it's like, this is, this is, this, now, you know, we get to the final part, which I think is probably the most, the, the one where we truly, truly try to bring the whole thing together. Um, the, 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 so we cut and we're out. We're looking at the earth and we're pulling back and pulling back and we see, uh, utero, the uterus, sort mm -hmm. of like a baby inside a utero womb overseeing the earth. And, right. um, yeah, with the, with the, of course, the, the incredible music in the background, I can't remember the name of the song, man. I, I think it's the, uh, the blue lagoon or something. Yeah. It's the, uh, what's it called? Um, the blue, it's not the, uh, Zar Zarathustra. Uh, it may be, I get, I get the two mixed I'm up. I'm sorry. There's the blue Danube, the blue Danube. Okay. The blue Danube. Yeah. Playing this awesome epic music as it closes and we're seeing the baby look at us. And of course yeah. it fades to what's it called? The Stanley Kubrick. The, this film was produced and directed by Stanley Kubrick. So, uh, yeah, I want to kind of get us here, our final part of this analysis and really just what that ending means. And, um, I, I think this is probably the part where Kubrick is speaking directly at us. He's saying, we are conquerors. We are colonists. We have explored and we've done all this thing. We lost our, our sense of humanity. We detached every single part of us. We have forgotten our family. We have forgotten what food tastes like. We have done all these things. But at the end of the day, we're just human life and we are so minuscule compared to this vast universe. The feeling that we are, that the, the idea that we are more important than another group of people as one race thinks that they're more superior to the other, the other when we're so minuscule, we're this pale blue dot, according, like Carl Sagan said, we're this pale blue dot in this vast universe and we are just so small. And we feel like we are this big thing that revolves around the universe and we're looking down on Earth like as if we're the important ones. Interesting. Yeah. So I have a different I had a different take. Give it to me, baby. And I I think for me, it's this whole film was just building on the idea that technology is separating us from humanity and technology is taking away and in our innovation and our, our progression is stripping us of what made us human and what made us so special and unique and the things that we love are, are we're just forgetting about because we, like you said, we want to conquer and we want to explore and we want to, to own everything that we can possibly own. And I think that Kubrick through the ending is saying like, okay, you've gotten to this point, you've advanced so far, you have finally reached that point where you have conquered space or you have explored space. Here you are, you have, you have met this, the ultimate monolith at the end, right? That, that, that black square that, um, 
that godlike reach that the old man does, the old bowman does at the very end, kind of like the Michelangelo reaching for God, yeah. And he reaches for the monolith, and then it cuts, and he's the fetus. I saw it more as, like, maybe maybe kind of the opposite of what you're saying is, I think that it's Kubrick saying, like, we have advanced so far. We have, we have conquered and met the highest being. Now we are at this point where we have advanced so far that we don't need anything anymore. We have advanced so far that we don't, we're, we're just like a fetus that, that is maybe self-sustaining or something like it doesn't really have, it, it's like it's ultimate being. It, it just exists. It doesn't need entertainment or sex or food or, or anything. It, it seems like throughout the whole movie, these humans are straying farther and farther away from all those things through all those intimate relationships through the intimate relationship with culture or food or family or whatever it is. And then at the end, we finally get to that point and it's like him stating like, here you are, this is where you're going to be. You're, you're almost going to be like little fetuses that don't need anything. Like you're just feeding off of your own pure energy. Is that where we want to be? I feel like that's what, that's what Kubrick is saying through this movie. Is this where you want to be? Do y'all want to advance so far that you're at the point where you're just like little fetuses that don't do anything? <laughs> little, little star. I think it, it calls them star babies or something or star child. Yeah. The star uh, child. Yeah. And I'm just, and, and that's how I saw it is like Kubrick stating like, y'all are going to keep advancing. We keep advancing. We keep conquering. We keep doing all these things. It's just, y'all are going to keep doing that and not appreciating our true, most basic form. You're just going to get to the point where you've advanced so far that you don't need anything else. Is that going to, is that really what we want? Is that really like how we want to enjoy ourselves? Do we just want to be these like little fetuses that are, are feeding off our own energy that we have like worked so hard and conquered so many things that there's nothing else to do. Like we're just these, we're just these things <laughs> existing at this point, not even needing anything. And that, that's how I saw it. But I, I also, I really enjoy your perspective as well. Yeah. Mine's a very <laughs> cynical perspective though. <laughs> very existential, but you know, it's, it's, it's true, man. We're just, we just, we, we, we do, we do, we do, we do, we progress, we progress, we progress. And then we're just, we're just back. You're like, we are we are wandering and we're just observing the earth and we're no nothing nothing is nothing nothing exceeds our expectations anymore. We're just we're just observers watching as we're up here and a planet that used to be our home is just dying and dying and dying and we do nothing about it. We're just we're just simply we're just simply the voyeurs. As right. if this object, this round sustainable sustainable of life object is this incredible thing that we want to find out there more of we want another place to call home and if we don't have another place to call home we're just simply looking at this and not appreciating we're just we're just sim we're just simply voyeurs bro right yeah it's really crazy like why why do we need more than earth why can't we why can't we just be hunter gatherers? <laughs> yeah, why why can't we just be complacent? Well, not be complacent, but why can't we be comfortable with the idea that 
this is just our only home and we are going to die here and this will die. And we, as a race of humans, we will cease to exist and that's it. Yeah. And that's it. But yeah. of course it is a, it's a pill that's so hard to swallow. And that's why, you know, no, but you know, whatever your opinion is on organized religion or anything, there's these things that are supposed to help us feel as if there's something past this. So that way we can feel like, it doesn't just end here. My life has more, more to go. Like there's, there's something else out there that, that, uh, that we can, that, that we work towards and there's just something more to look forward to, right? That there's, that after we close those eyes and the, what's called everything goes black and we don't wake up anymore. There's just something out there that's, that's, that's going to be coming next and that we can look forward to because we as humans, we're just not comfortable with the idea of, just existing for this very small fragment of time. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's <laughs> that's 2001 a Space Odyssey, my friends. And uh, I, I, I gotta say, I mean, if you've never seen this movie, I'm sorry if we just spoiled everything, but I think this is one of the most important movies ever made. Yes, everybody's like, oh, it's so overrated, it's so slow, it's so boring. I don't care. It's just, This is a movie that I mean, you just saw it right here. At the beginning, Patrick and I were pretty much close to being our interpretations. And as we kept going, we kept straying and straying more from the path. And we ended up being polar opposite uh, analysis of these movies. And I think that's that's the beauty of film. When, when, you, when you make something so grandiose and so incredible that it's open to so many different interpretations. Like... It's just, it's, 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 it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Right, right, right. Very true. Um, I'm wondering, do you have like a specific interpretation of what you felt the monoliths represented or what the monoliths were? I, I, I agree with you. I think it's just a catalyst. It's a reminder that, uh, Hey, there's something else to be done here. Um, what's it called? Don't, don't forget about, don't forget about your place in the universe. Really, like it's like constantly the monolith is the 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 what's it called the object that is being sought after. You know, we're constantly looking. They're constantly looking for it. They're trying to find it, even though they don't really understand it. They're trying to grab their hands. They're trying to put their hands on it. I think it's just uh, it's the object that it's the object of desire, which you know, if we were in a film theory class and we were talking about how the, the object of desire is so very in, so very important to the story sometimes how you know it's 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 this it's this larger than life thing that we seem to uh you know overextend sometimes and we make a bigger idea of what it is but i think that the monolith is if if the monolith is god then then what's it called that it's an also an interesting take on it but i think it's just this object that we keep going towards and it's just representative of our goals as human beings right right yeah yeah what did you um, what do you yeah. think yeah and I, I think it's just like something to boost forward and to um it, it just kind of drives that idea that you know us as humans we need to to keep going and keep conquering or exploring yeah um I also read somewhere that it is something that was already placed by um, 
aliens and it's like the aliens way of communicating to themselves the point where humans are so it's like it was placed there by aliens in the dawn of man so that once once man finally finds its its tool and interacts with the monolith then it like beams back to the central like <laughs> their central home and then so on when they when they finally find it in the moon once they've advanced to find it on the moon then it beams back and then it's it it they they explained it as like this form of communication or something which isn't as fun as i feel like what we're explaining but it's it's interesting and i think it also goes along with um what the movie was inspired by originally which was the book uh, yeah it was well it was a just a short story written by arthur c clark mm -hmm. um, it's pretty it's pretty good i mean it's fairly short i think it's only like five pages maybe even maybe a little bit longer but just a little short and then yeah he kubrick read it and loved it and was like let's write a book together so they wrote the book and um yeah i'm, I'm pretty sure from what i understand the book was made just to like help kubrick fully form the movie um, they were they were kind of being created simultaneously. It's not like the book was made and then Kubrick read it and then made the movie. Um, yeah, yeah. And um, if you ever guys want to understand, want to know, there was there is an unofficial sequel to this film, uh, 2010, the year we made Contract. Um, I've never yeah. I never no. watched it. I never watched it. Um, I kind of don't want to. I mean, it's an unofficial sequel, but it's really just uh, you know. But you know, I, I would be interested to see what it's all about. But, you know, there's something else I got to bring up with this movie. Uh, you you would think, all have we done with this? You would think, oh, this is a Best Picture winning film then. Nope. The only thing this movie won for was uh, Best Visual Effects. And Kubrick, yeah. in his multi-decade, multi like, only, he only made 13 films. None of those thirteen films ever got him a Best Director Oscar, and uh, he died with ever without ever getting one. And uh, yeah, this movie was uh, was you would think that this movie would at least get the man a Best Director win, but nope, it did not. And yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite the it's quite the story, man. You know, uh, you know all these other movies got a win, but uh, Stanley Kubrick and Alfred Hitchcock never won a Best Director award ever, ever. But yeah, that's that's 2001. Uh, you can uh, you can watch 2001: Space Odyssey on HBO Max if you have that. I watch it on there, and by the way, it's beautiful looking. But I gotta I gotta give it to you guys. You guys need to buy this on 4K because I that I am looking at my Blu-ray copy and I'm saying I love you so much, but I want to buy the 4K copy bad. I don't. That's this is one of the only movies where I'm like I don't mind having duplicates. Because I want that 4K copy to see how it looks. I'm so sad that I didn't get to watch this film in the theaters when it was re-released. And they were showing it in our city, bro. They were showing it. And we did not get the chance to watch it. And uh, this is a movie that I hope I have the chance to one day before I die watch it. Because it's, it's, I mean, first of all, it's just so important to me. I think it's 
so important to me. It's just like I said, I don't know if it, I don't know if it has that same effect on you, Patrick. But nope. like, uh, Django was the movie that I knew that I wanted to make movies. But 2001 was the movie that I knew I wanted to direct. I was like, wow, one guy, what's it called, was able to come up with the script idea and all these things, and he was able to direct this, like make this happen. Even though you know, what's it called, filmmaking isn't just one person; it's a whole team. But like the idea that like this mastermind was able to orchestrate this in a sense, it's it 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 it, it was it, it was a big thing for me in my first year of college and really making me decide that I wanted to you know pursue a film filmmaking career and a filmmaking uh what's it called major because it really did it really did do that for me so. Yeah, I really recommend you guys watch this film if you're listening and you've never watched this. If you don't care about the fact you got spoiled, then cool. Um, do I, I do want you to know that you don't take our take, don't take our analysis as being the you know the word of mouth that you know like it's supposed to be the end all be all. No, you can have your own analysis and please share it with us. I mean, go go to my Twitter and stuff and share it with me and talk to me about it because I really do want to know what you guys think about it. Because I think this movie and so many movies are the same example of movies that have so many different interpretations, but it's so great to have a conversation on it. There's a reason so many film students, you know, bring it up and they're like, hey, what did you think about 2001? What is your thoughts on it? And what what is the interpretation? Like, you know, I feel like the way that people think about, the way people usually think like, oh, you're a film student, you love Citizen Kane. It's like, no, man, I, I think the way, the first movie when I think about my love of film is just 2001 Space Odyssey. So, uh, Patrick, first of all, uh, how, how much did you, how, how, did you enjoy your time on the cinema condition, man? Oh, of course. Always. Yeah, man. Of course. Yeah, you know, you know, we always have a fun time, right? You know, whether, because these usually are conversations that happen off air, too, when we're together and we're just talking about all these things and, it's nice right. that we're able to record them, right? Right, right. Of course. Of course. It's fun. I can't wait for you to come back next season, bro, to talk about uh, the Three Colors trilogy, movies that I've oh. never seen. So I'm really excited to get to do that with you. But uh, before you say goodbye for like a couple of months until we see you next season, do you mm-hmm. want to tell them where they can find you on the internet and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, Patchy Picks on Instagram and patgpix.com is my website, which has not been updated, but it's got some good stuff on there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing some photography mix of landscape and trying to get back into some fashion stuff as well, as much as I can, but you know, trying to socially distance, but still take pictures of people. Um, but yeah, hit me up on there. Feel free to reach out or, ask me about photos or movies or whatever you want. Um, most of my stuff is photos, but I, I'm studying film. So I got a, I got a little bit of knowledge of both. Yeah, man. Uh, Pat and I were, we're bound to work together soon because of the great news I was, I was given today. So, you know, it's just about, it's a, it's just, it's about, it's going to be time. It's going to be time soon for us to be working together. And uh, Pat is always somebody who I think is just so incredibly talented. So you guys definitely need to go check him out. And as always, you guys can check me out, The Nerd Chicano, on both Instagram and Twitter. That's The Nerdy Chicano. And, uh, of course, you can go to nerdcore.com to check out all the reviews I write about. I'm slowly making my way through my 75 films for Major Challenge right now. It's not going as well as I planned. I I thought I'd be at, like, 50 by now. Nope. 
did not think so. <laughs> nope. But uh, I'm going to try my best to do that stuff, guys, and keep writing reviews for you guys because I really do enjoy it. And uh, as always, you know, you can keep, catch me on the Nerdcore podcast feed at anchor.fm slash Nerdcore. And, uh, yeah, it's a late recording, guys. And usually you can get these episodes days early on patreon.com slash Nerdcore. But as I expected, the, se- the last half of the season would be the hardest one to schedule, especially during a pandemic. So uh, I'm sorry if these episodes aren't av- available as early as I want them to be. But uh, I hope you guys still find uh, find it in your hearts to come and support us on Patreon because we're doing some crazy good stuff on there. We just hit our second goal where we can do audio movie commentaries for you guys, for patrons only. And I can't wait to do that with y'all. So uh, go to patreon.com slash nerdcore. Check it out. A dollar a month gets you a lot of cool stuff. So, you know, even a dollar a month helps us out a lot. So... With that, be- excuse me. With that being said, I'll see you guys next week. Well, I'll not see you guys. I'll I'll be back next week when we invite Alejandra Escutiangulo again to discuss 2012's Les Miserables, and we get one episode closer to the season finale. But without further ado, go watch 2001: A Space Odyssey, my friends. Please, I mean, there's just. I, I, you just heard us go a whole two hours, man. You heard us go a whole two hours. There's just not, there's no way you can't just not go watch this movie now. So uh, go, go and watch it and uh, have yourself a good time, y'all.